Welcome back to the Project E podcast, a weekly show where I interview emerging and established entrepreneurs and creators in the UAE and in the Middle East. And today, my guest is Najib, the founder of One Life Kitchen and Cafe in Dubai Design District D3. And I have to say, I have really, really enjoyed this one. Najib is one of the most down-to-earth, genuine guys that I have met so far in Dubai. And and he puts his heart and soul into every single detail, into every single thing that he does at One Life. It's something else. Really, really enjoy the space. If you didn't check it out yet, you will definitely check it out after listening to this interview. And what I particularly like about One Life is that it blends in multiple things for me personally. It has great food, really, really good coffee. And the space is just full of positive and creative energy that just puts me right into a zone where I can get things done. And just overall uplifts my entire mood every single time I go to One Life. So without further ado, Najib, thank you so much for coming in on the Project E podcast. So just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and uh, what you do. Um, What I do now is I run a cafe restaurant in uh, Dubai Design District called One Life. I grew up in Dubai from the early 80s up until about 96 when I went to boarding school in England. I finished university in England. I did a master's in business, came back here, worked in marketing for nine years, loved the people I worked with, but hated the corporate environment and always kind of had this idea that I'd try and do my own thing. And that became a reality in 2016. I mean, I quit my job in late 2014 and it took me quite a while to set up One Life. So the original One Life opened in March 2016 which is now, or I mean, we were the joint first cafe restaurant to open in D3. And now it'll be coming up to four years in March. We closed in 2018 for about six months. So from May till till January of 2019, we were closed. We were reconstructing and expanding. That's, I mean, apart from that, I like playing football, which is what I'm going to do after this. When you quit your job, did you know that you were going to start One Life? I had like, when I was clearing my last laptop out, I had a few business plans on there. And I think there were like two or three that were related to food. I think I felt I wanted to do something in food. They were kind of half finished business plans or not even Mm -hmm. half. Half is probably too generous. It was maybe like quarter finished business plans. But I struggled. I think some people... And if you're lucky enough to be like this, it's it's pretty good. Um, they're able to start something on the side of having a job. But while I, having a job, getting a business a job, started. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wasn't that person for one reason or another. And I kind of needed to finish what I was doing to really focus on doing my own thing. And um, yeah, I, I didn't know it was going to be called One Life. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. But I did feel like... Um, at that time, like this kind of casual food sector was was starting a little bit in like 2014, 15. I mean, there had been some people in that industry in Dubai for a longer time. But yeah, uh, you're from here, right? I am from Palestine. So. Okay. My wife's Palestinian. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, the reason I asked is like, if you look at Dubai, like maybe 15, 20 years ago, 
there was a lot of like chains, not so many independents, mm -hmm. or even the chains were, that were here were like very mega global chains. And then it started becoming much more like, you know, a chain local that centric, yeah. like either independent local or like chains that only exist in one part of America or chains that only exist in Canada. So kind of like that whole FNB sector started really diversifying. And I think casual dining was a part of that. So it wasn't super big before. And then it, it started to get big. And for me personally, I just felt like there's room for someone who's just trying to do honest, good, simple food in a cool environment at an affordable price. And that's kind of how I got into it. So how did you choose your uh, location? D3 was just coming out. It wasn't. For many so, people, especially yeah, if it's a restaurant, yeah, yeah. you need you need a very, very good yeah, location. Yeah. And seeing One Life where it is today, it's very popular. It's very, very popular. Yeah, and yeah. the food is, is really, really good too. Thank and you. for a reason. How did you manage to get traffic in uh, at the early stage? Just walk us through the first mm -hmm. initial six months. Like before we opened there, I think there's several phases during that kind of journey where me being naive or inexperienced was an advantage. So one one advantage or one time where being naive helped me was like D3 was a project. It was a construction site. And obviously um, not D3 themselves, but people who either were showing us around or whatever, like they were very optimistic about it. And normally anyone who's selling your project is going to be very optimistic and they're going to say that, you know, this is going to be this and this is going to be that. And I believed them to a certain extent. But above that, like D3, before it had a single retail tenant, a single restaurant and very, very few offices, it still had a vibe. Like the way the area is constructed, whether it's the architecture, whether it's the fact that it's indoor, outdoor mixed kind of space, the retail units have a very high ceiling, lots of glass, That's lots true. of natural That's sunlight. True. So I got that kind of vibe of D3 without anyone being there. And in my mind, at that point, I had a kind of, I think I already had a full business plan for One Life. And I had an idea in my head of what the vibe of One Life would be. So the vibe of D3 and the vibe of One Life, and I know I'm saying vibe a lot, it sounds like such a non-specific, intangible term, but really it was about vibe. It was like, okay, this concept and this project are going to kind of fit very well together. In terms of like the traffic we get now, from day one, I really think like the concept, it fit the area and the type of people who were there. One great credit to D3 management in terms of how they filled office spaces is they got a lot of architects, a lot of uh, fashion designers, interior designers, creative people. Mm -hmm. So those were kind of not necessarily that I knew that would be who my target was when, when starting One Life, but it's a kind of group that I think appreciates what we represent, which is like quite a casual, honest place with good food, good design, good vibes, friendly staff. And when we started out, we didn't have that much experience. I didn't have that much experience. I was lucky enough to hire people who had more experience than I did in F&B. But our kind of philosophy from day one has been just marginal improvements daily. Like, I think it's it's difficult to drastically improve a lot. Like, we started from a certain point. I wouldn't say it was a great point or a bad point, but it was a point. And the important thing is that you start something. From that point forward, if you ever kind of just relax and you say, this is it, this is the concept, take it or leave it, whether you like it or not. For a new concept, I think it's it's quite difficult to kind of stay in the business and succeed. 
I think you kind of do have to be building and improving upon your offering in every sense, whether it's the food, the service, the ambiance, the hygiene, every single thing. And for me, like if I compare it to the early days, it's a bigger space with a bigger kitchen, a better kitchen, better food, better service. And we're still kind of, I feel... Not at the early stages, but we have a really a long way to go to, to get to where we really think this is an excellent concept. Our end goal is that, you know, it should be a concept that works. And if you pick it up and put it anywhere in the world that's quite busy, any street that's busy uh, or any city, like it will succeed because the concept has had five or six or seven years to really be uh, perfected if yeah. you want. Uh, I want to talk about something that you mentioned, which is you didn't have that much experience in running a restaurant or a business, but then you were lucky enough to have a good team. So how did you go about your hiring process? Especially here in uh, Dubai, UAE, it's very competitive when it comes to the FMB sector. So yeah. how did you go about filtering the right candidates and finding the right people um, it's kind of changed over time. So in the beginning, it was very much based on like gut instinct, like meeting people and getting, you know, either good energy from them or bad energy from them and then kind of taking it from there. Kelvin, who's our head chef slash general manager slash right hand man slash everything. slash everything was the first guy that I hired before we opened. And Kelvin... Originally, I thought like, you know, I so can... So he's your first key hire, basically. Key hire. He's the first hire and the first key hire. And he's kind of been with us throughout. He left for about 11, 12 months and came back during the closure. But originally, I thought, again, like being naive, I thought, okay, I know what food I want. Da, da, da. I just need someone who's a basic cook. And I put an ad out there for... for just a cook, not really a chef. I don't really need a head chef. Do you remember where did you put the ad? It was a website called Indeed. Okay. So Indeed is basically it's, the, it's the website good. I use for, for most of these things. And uh, I met a few people who seemed okay, but no real click or no real energy. Like, we didn't feel compatible. And then um, one day I go home. I open my computer, see who else has applied, and I see this name, Kelvin Kelly, has applied 90 seconds ago. So I said, let me freak this guy out, you know, let me open his CV and call him straight away 90 seconds after he applied. So I call him, and he answers. I'm like, yeah, you just applied for a job, blah, blah, blah. Where do you live? I lived on, like, Umskame Road, and he lived in Sports City. Both of them are close to each mm -hmm. other. I said, let's meet up. We meet up at a ca cafe in uh, Sports City. Those are the best interviews at a cafe. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he was above my budget and he was above what I was looking for. So Kelvin was an experienced chef compared to what I wanted, which was a cook. And in my mind, I was like, should I go for someone with more experience and or should I stick to my original plan? In the end, I decided to go for Kelvin with more experience. And honestly, it was one of the best decisions I made because... There's so much more to running a restaurant than, you know, being a home cook or having a passion for food or any of that stuff. Kelvin had a lot of experience that I lacked. So he kind of completed, like as a duo, we were able to manage the startup and the business a lot better than I would have been on my own. Because really, I had no experience at all. Mm -hmm. I just had an idea and a vision. But Kelvin was the guy who could kind of 
say, okay, this is what you want to do. This is how we're going to do it. So he was the how. And, um, and okay. also like we just, we just had a good working relationship from the beginning. Obviously, there were ups and downs. But overall, it was really, and still to this day, it's a good working relationship. The other hires, what we did is we just put out an ad. <laughs> one Life was a construction site, the old One Life. So it was like almost finished, but it wasn't finished. And we just put out an ad. We said, you know, we're looking for waiters, cooks, cleaners, whatever. Just did, you, did you include show up for the interview? So they would come and visit the site? Yeah, yeah. so they'd come and visit the site. And it's funny because you know how these things are. There's always like a security protocol and you have to inform people. We didn't inform anyone. We just put this ad out there. And all of a sudden you see... Um, so from the door that currently faces the car park... Hundreds of people. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't crazy, but it was like from the door that faces the car park... There was a line coming all the way around to the entrance of building five. So it's kind of like, if you think of the old and the new One Life, just the whole side of One Life was like covered with people. Wow. Um, thing. And then the security <laughs> came and uh, there's a guy, Osama, who still works there today. And another guy, Ibrahim, who I think now works in the head office. And they came and they're like, you know, what is this? You can't do this. You have to inform us. You can't just call these people. I was like, don't worry, don't worry. It's going to be very quick and they'll be gone. So you have a line. And I think there's a picture probably on the very old uh, Instagram posts of One Life. There must be a picture. Oh, I need at the to beginning. find this picture. Yeah, find that picture. But it wasn't an interview. It was literally like the plan was let me feel what kind of an energy these people give off. So it was like, hi, how are you? What's your name? Where do you work? It was like 30 seconds. And I didn't want people to know... Uh, what I was writing, if they're good or bad. So I wrote in Turkish, I mean, because I'm Turkish. So I wrote in Turkish so they wouldn't understand that, that good, not good. Whatever, just to yeah. filter them out. Yeah. And then like from that, from maybe maybe 150, 200 people, we got down to like eight or 10. And um, what you need. Yeah, which is what we needed. And we started like that. It was very much based on just an attitude of, you know, someone who seems positive, who seems friendly, who seems like they would be nice to work with. Um, and their English is good. They're presentable. It was some very basic kind of hiring requirements. But we underhired. I think I think we only had five or six people when we started. So it was me and five other people. So that includes the kitchen and the front. So it was really like a very lean team. Within the first week that we opened, and we opened to a photography exhibit, so we weren't actually, we were and we weren't ready to open, but we got an inquiry for a catering for um, a photography exhibition that was happening kind of next to us in uh, Dubai Design District. And they were saying, our crew needs a place to eat lunch every day. Can you guys cater for us? And we were like, should we, shouldn't we? Are we going to be ready? Are we not? We really weren't ready. And the hoarding was still on the windows, but we said, let's do it anyway. So the first day we opened the doors for these people and we were feeding them. It was just like a different menu every day. Yeah. And we started like that. And then the second day was like that. And we were turning away people. So there was people in the D3 offices. And we were saying, no, we're only open we for can. this private catering. And I think by the third day, we were like, you know what? Forget it. Like Stop there's it. food left over. We've still got food. Let's just open to the public. But we didn't have a menu. We were kind of catering a different meal every day or something. It was extremely unorganized. We didn't have a POS, which I know is, is definitely Mandatory. true. So it's like I'm facing the customer. They're ordering something. Now, the POS automatically sends electronically to the, the order to the kitchen through a printer. But if you don't have a printer, you're just shouting the orders. So you're like one uh, one burger for this guy and then this and that. Literally shouting and writing on pieces of paper. It was really chaotic. Like even now, if you come at the middle of lunch, 
it's quite chaotic, which I don't know, maybe it's like an addiction for me. Like I like that energy, that chaos. It's actually good energy. Yeah, but back then it was like, it really felt like, I don't know, it just felt like I always imagine these uh, pic these images of like New York Stock Exchange that you see these people shouting. <laughs> like in the beginning, it felt like that, especially pieces of paper flying around yeah. and shouting orders. So well, I think the customers appreciated this. It, I, mean, I don't people, think anyone was. Some people might think it's too noisy and too hectic, but yeah. you can also come, not, most of the day it's not like that. Like if you come at 12 or you come at 2.30, it's, it's not that chaotic. But there's a certain time during the week where it's quite chaotic and when you work through that, you love and you hate it. Like you hate it because you're always, you feel like you're on the brink of losing control, but you love it because there's some sort of an adrenaline rush that comes with it. And it's kind of, you feel like, you feel like you're doing something important. I mean, at the end of the day, you're just serving food and I'm, you know, I'm cashiering every day at lunch uh, on the weekdays at lunch. You cashier yourself. Yeah, I cashier myself. I mean, and yeah, it's kind of just one of those things that I, I quite enjoy, but I also sometimes don't look forward to because if it's going to be a crazy day, it's like, it's quite difficult to manage. Like at one point I have a customer in front of me. I've got a WhatsApp mobile on my right. I've got a Deliveroo tablet on my right. And I've got a Zomato tablet also on my right. And I have a phone on my left. So imagine now I could have you in front of me, the phone ringing and Deliveroo order, a Zomato order and a WhatsApp message. And I can't show you that I'm distracted. So I have to give you my attention as the attention. customer. But you and know, you've got the uh, bills and cash in your hands as well, yeah, trying yeah, to manage that. Yeah. But then also the waiters are like running around. So if the phone's ringing, sometimes I'll pick it up and I'll throw it to a waiter. I'll be like, catch. And like, he'll answer it. So we, we kind of get through it, maybe in the not the most systematic way, but we kind of get through it every day. So that was the hiring process. So you then. Hired, yeah. yeah. Now I would say like, honestly, honestly, the number one thing I look for in a CV is where they've worked. Okay. A lot of people come from other countries and, you know, not to be discriminatory towards them. But if I don't know where you've worked, you know, some hotel I've never heard of in a country that I'm not familiar with, it doesn't mean a lot. But if you've worked in an establishment in Dubai that I've heard of, that I've been to, that I know is quality, that it, I know is kind of similar to us, that kind of signals to me that this person is is good. Because even if someone's not very good, if they can last two years or three years in one life or a similar place to us, at least you know they've they've been trained up and it makes it makes it a lot ri less risky to hire from those kind of places. You talked about, you know, how you wanted to do you want to do honest work and th those values reflected in the concept. And what I find is very interesting is that you don't charge water. Is yeah. that true? Yeah, we don't. Yeah. I mean, we How? can you can buy bottled water, but we have filtered water. Yeah, so I can buy bottled water. That's true. Yeah, because a lot of restaurants, yeah. I think here from the ones that I tried, yeah, restaurants or cafes, water is a source of revenue because yeah. they charge they buy it. It's one dirham in the yeah. in the grocery yeah. shop, and they sell it for seven and fifteen. And yeah. but you're giving it for free, even though you're in one of the most prime locations yeah. in Dubai. It's really nice to hear someone that appreciates that. And I'll come 100%. back to that. But before that, like, first of all, that's an idea that I think might have originated in the States or Europe or wherever. That's true. Here, I remember Urban Bistro in Media City was definitely doing it because they were open before we were and they were doing it before we were. Tom and Serge, when they opened, they were definitely doing it. I mean, we weren't the first to do that. 
but there's two things for that. Like one is, yes, it is a, it's an easy 10 or 15 or 20 dirhams, almost pure profit that every restaurant can make on more or less every table. And it kind of evolved from, I don't know if you, you remember this, but it evolved from local water only, which had a markup of a little bit and then imported water which That's had a true. huge markup. That's true. Then it became, you know, so the standard would be a waiter would bring you the imported water and you'd say, do you have any local water? And they'd say yes, and they'd bring it. Then it became the local water was as expensive as the imported or only like one or two dirhams difference. So it doesn't make a difference. And now I think there's a lot of places that don't even have the local water. They, they don't, have exactly. The they, you are forced to buy the imported water yeah. for, for whatever me, price. Like. Yeah, for me, like, it's not that I didn't want to make money off water. It's just, first of all, importing water seems Seems very wasteful, you know, when there's water in this country, rather than importing it, you know, there's good quality water here. Let's just drink that water. Second of all, like it always seemed like a humongous markup that seemed slightly dishonest. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Anyone, everyone can run their business the way they want. But one reason that I like you mentioning it is because we've obviously increased our price over the last four years on our food items. Well, water has been free from day one and it's still free. And I feel like sometimes people will notice the price increase, but they won't say like, oh, but thank you for the free water. They'll be like, oh, no, water is not costing you anything. But it costs us. I mean, obviously, it costs us something. And we f- forget what it costs us. We're foregoing a revenue stream 100%. that most other places that we're competing with, they have that revenue stream. We don't have that revenue stream. So it's nice to feel that that's appreciated. Um, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think I think more restaurants should do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. It's, it's, it's not an easy business to honestly survive and, and make profit in. Like there, there's a lot of factors that, that make the FMB business quite difficult. And it's quite difficult to stay popular. Like even if you're a popular restaurant this year, it doesn't mean you are going to be next year. So I think in some sense, restaurant owners are trying to kind of make sure they can maximize their profit from a consumer point of view. Like, so I manage it always from a business owner point of view, but then I look from a consumer point of view and I'm trying to kind of balance those two things. So definitely from a consumer point of view, 100%. If I go to a place and they give me free water, I'm going to appreciate it. I'm going to think that's cool. From a business owner point of view, it is tempting sometimes to think, you know, we could make five, 10 dirhams extra on every single person who comes through here on water. But so far we've managed to resist. I want to come back to one of the things that you said, how you choosing D3 and being surrounded by creatives is something that goes in line with the concept of one life. And one of the things that I know is that you make sure that you offer an opportunity to either startups, artists, creatives, and make sure you showcase their talent and services, Mm. two of which, Let's Work and Blank Space, which is the open mic sessions. Two very different kind of concepts. Can you tell me a little bit more about them and just in general how One Life is powering up creatives? Maybe not just One Life, but what's really, really cool about cafes in general If you think about cafes, I mean, I'm not really educated on the history of cafes, but think of coffee and how we use coffee. Like everyone uses coffee to kind of power their workday. And cafes are almost like an extension of that. You go to a restaurant for a meal, but you go to a cafe, you can sit two, three hours with one coffee. Uh, We purposely have these huge tables. So when people have their laptops and food, they can work, have their food, have meetings. One of the things from the early days that really made me happy is to see people meeting in one life and creating. We just provide a space. We don't necessarily do anything further than providing coffee, space, 
and I think quite nutritious food that kind of helps in a workday. Like you don't want to eat really heavy food and not be able to think. But apart from that, we're not really doing anything. I think the environment is one that certain people enjoy and they like working from and other people don't. But the ones who do, like we've been very lucky to attract what I consider like people who are quite accomplished in their fields or even if they're not accomplished, maybe they're on their way to doing something. It's an environment where people can talk, discuss ideas, develop ideas, work in silence, ignore everyone else. And if you look over the two floors, there's a lot of different kind of work environments. So you can work in a, you know, down downstairs old one life which is quite busy and hectic if you want to be in a noisy environment you can work upstairs in the kind of library area which is a bit quieter uh, on a sunken counter on a bench on a high counter and for me personally because I work from there every day now like recently I've been sitting right next to the kitchen on the counter but for a long time I was in the office which is behind the library then for some time I was upstairs as soon as you go up the stairs on a table and then I wanted to be closer to the kitchen. So I moved on to the kitchen counter where I can kind of see what the kitchen is doing as well. But there's a lot of different spaces to work from. Mm-hmm. With regards to Let's Work, Let's Work is uh, it's a pretty cool concept where freelancers and people who mm-hmm. don't have an office pay a monthly subscription and they're able to work from a number of coffee shops where they get free coffee and a discount on food. In our case, the fact that we do have so much space meant that it's rare that we'll, I mean, the only disadvantage of Let's Work might be, let's say, someone sitting there on a table or a chair all day, and I have someone who's willing to pay full price and buy a, a lunch, but I don't want to kick off, I'm not allowed to kick off the guy for Let's Work. Because we have so many seats and so much space, we're never in that situation. So people who are coming as freelancers and just want to order coffee and work and maybe have a salad or maybe not have a salad will always have a space for them and they won't, in, they won't interfere with other customers who are coming there um, to pay full price. Now, not everyone has that space, but because we have it, it works well for us. Blank space is a different kind of thing. So when we took the upstairs of One Life, the idea was, yes, we're a cafe and we want to do coffee and food and serve uh, the people of D3, but we want to become more than that. So we, as One Life, want to become a cultural space. Now, we don't contribute to the culture, again, through our own programming yet. I mean, we might do something in that area. But there's so many people in the city that have, you know, like Blank Space is two people, uh, Mathani and Muhammad Hakam. Mm-hmm. They have a vision and they have something cultural that they want to take forward. We do nothing. All we do is Offer we put the, the chairs, we align the couches, and we give them the space. And then there's kind of like a barter deal where you buy like some coffee and food, and that's it. We're not doing anything. But the space allows kind of the cultivation of, of these cultural things, and almost in a passive way on our part, because again, the people also find us. So a lot of the people who do things in one life, they found us. We just tell them we exist, or they come to someone else's event. And then they have an idea to do their own event. Uh, but Blank Space is one of the ones that happens on a monthly basis. It's happening, I think, this Thursday as well. Yeah, I might check it out. It's uh, really cool. heard about it a lot. Yeah, 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 I mean, it's an open mic. They have a lot of really talented people that mm. come. I'm a father of three, so usually I'm kind of oh. home by six or seven. They start around seven. So I've missed quite a lot of them. But then I watch it live on Instagram. But like what we were talking at the beginning about filming podcasts, eventually I'd love to film all these events that 
that happen in one life and then do like, you know, a summarized version of them on YouTube or like just build a lot more content about the yeah. stuff that's happening in space. Because we have poetry nights, we have open mic nights. We might be doing a movie screening in the beginning of March. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. But back to me and Kelvin, who are kind of managing it, we've we've got four years under our belt of managing a restaurant cafe. When you look at, at our ability and our experience in managing an event space, we're weak. We're, we're definitely not where we need to be. And we probably need to pull in someone else to kind of manage that space. Because right now we're much better at managing the downstairs than we are at managing the upstairs. So I think it has a huge potential as a second floor and an event space. But I don't think it's really fulfilling that potential. So how would moment. you go about then expanding that space? Because you said you are more skilled downstairs. You would hire a person or would you work with partners, third party providers? Look, a lot of these things, I think, happen organically. And you try things like a lot of what we do is trial and error. So we're not like an outside funded company like we don't have a ton of money to burn through or anything like that so like i mean it's it's basically self family brother wife parent like that and i mean we do have we do have a loan from beehive but i mean when you look in proportion the the majority of our money is our own we're not in a position where we can make big investments right so anything we do especially from a management level or or a more senior level We don't really hire people in and then uh, we don't have a big team. We try to do as much in-house as we can, which is, again, myself and Kelvin. Kelvin is a chef, but the job he does is far beyond the chef. He's much more of a kind of a, a general manager. And you could say I'm also a general manager. So we're kind of co-managing it. Between the two of us, we kind of we change the menu and try to improve so much downstairs so often And we're on top of the operation so much that realistically, it's not that easy for us to manage the upstairs. Now, the upstairs is a cultural space, but it's also a space that brands can rent. So Mm -hmm. brands will take over the space for a day and they'll completely transform it into their brand colors, their brand identity. And they'll do an event, whether it's for influencers or for the media. And those are big opportunities for us. Those bring in a lot of revenue in a single day and More, more than we would make from Let's Work or the regular people who work up there, with, who we move downstairs when, when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. So there is an opportunity to do a lot more of these brand activations, a lot more of these cultural activations. But I would probably think it makes more sense to hire someone to manage that than a third party. Uh, right. Third parties have multiple clients and it's always a challenge to get them to pay attention to you when they're trying to juggle probably multiple spaces. But if we did hire someone, that person would then obviously have to reach out to a lot of these other people yeah. who are either booking spaces for brands or, or something like that. But I do think like going forward, it's something that we need because myself and Kelvin have bought it to a certain level. And so that's what I mean when I say it's like an organic growth. We've, yeah. we've taken it to a good point, to a decent point where we do have brand act- activations and we do have cultural activations. But maybe now someone needs to kind of take it further and really manage that space as its own entity because if you look at like if you look at the two floors as two P&Ls probably the downstairs is a highly profitable business and the upstairs is a highly loss making business you know what i mean i mean not a highly loss making but yeah it's I mean, not a it's it's a lot of space that you could yeah you could use yeah like well, you have to be kind of intentional about it and aggressive and actually go out there and get the business to make it work yeah. which we're much better at doing on the ground floor 
Having said that, though, you know, summer gets so hot that all those people who sit outside, they do Go end upstairs. up going upstairs for lunch. So it works. Like, it so works it's a seasonal a, kind of thing also. Yeah, like we don't, like our sales go down a lot in summer, but our seating capacity, if you kind of That's think up. of the upstairs, it, it kind of, we, we still have That's quite a big seating capacity, whether it's winter or summer. There's just less people around. So if there were somebody who has this idea for a kitchen or for a food concept or a cafe, what would you tell them to look out for? If you were to give them three things, three things to look out for, what would you tell the them? First, the first one is definitely like something my wife always told me, like it was focus on the food, right? Your food business. And if your food's not good, it's really hard to survive. Um People, you know, spend a lot of marketing money and all this kind of thing. But the reality is people who come to you and enjoy the experience, they're going to market you for free. And that's the most important kind of thing for, for a food business, to have people who will talk about your place and talk about your food. So food being your primary focus is the number one thing for me. And then the fact that it's called like the food service industry, service for me is the second. So from the three points, food and service are one and two. And service, maybe try not to be so generic, try to be warm, try to understand what your customers appreciate. You know, some concepts, fine dining concepts, the customers appreciate, you know, excellence of service. Us, it's much more like a casual place where some people appreciate that friendliness. Other people think, you know, these guys are too friendly. Why is this guy uh, sitting on my table while he's taking my order? <laughs> They'll go somewhere else. I mean, that is who we are. And that's the kind of concept we are. We are a very casual, friendly concept. And for some people, they like that. And other people, they don't. Food and service, one and two. Three, I would say, I would say it's just about improving. You, when you start a business, you have this idea in your head of what you're going to do. And once you realize that and it becomes a reality, you can't stop there. The reality is the brands that we we look at as successful food brands, whether it's local startups or international chains, they've taken many, many years and many, many iterations to get to where they're going. So it's so unlikely or even impossible that the thing you open on day one is the finished article. You know, McDonald's wasn't McDonald's when they opened. No one was, was who they are. They had to improve so much over decades or whatever it is to get to where they are. So I think you just need to look at every aspect of your business and be better than what you were six months ago or a year ago. And that's also true for the industry. If you open a burger joint today in Dubai, it's not the same as opening a burger joint in 2000. In 2000, you could probably be successful with an average burger at a high price and a cool vibe. Now in 2020, 20 years later, there's 10 million of those that exist. So mm -hmm. you need to bring something completely new to the table and a lot better. So if you're not getting better, you're you're probably getting worse because everyone around you is, is getting better. That's the way I see it. Like, And you need to compete with yourself. The other thing is maybe if you can add a fourth point, don't be too much of like copycat concept. Everyone mm -hmm. copies each other. Everyone's inspired by each other. I've always been open about the fact that the three places I hung out the most for one before One Life was Baker and Spice. Four places, Baker and Spice, Bistro on Shakeside Road, Tom and Serge, nice. and Lime Tree. So, I like that. So it's kind of like, you know, and, and we obviously drew inspiration from that. Like, I can't mm -hmm. say I invented the idea of casual dining. No, I didn't. But neither did they. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> everyone's taken bits from each other. And 
in some areas, I think we've advanced it. And in some areas, we've, you know, replicated what other people have done. But it's it's important to try to also bring something original to the table. 100%. I agree. And last question. What does success mean to you? <coughs> That's a good question. Look, I'll be honest about it. Maybe money shouldn't be one of the things you say, but the reality is we all need a certain amount of money to survive, right? So concepts like mine or or startups in general, they will cease to exist if they cannot generate enough money for the owner and the staff to live, right? So that's one aspect. We all know it's a standard thing, but I think it's also not something that we should... Um, discount or say, oh, money doesn't matter. Money does matter. And and a business won't survive if it cannot generate, you know, an income for all the people who work there. Apart from that, like, I would just say appreciation. Honestly, like, I love it when people just tell me that they've enjoyed their experience or, oh, I didn't know this place existed or, you know, you guys are the best or you have whatever. Like, it's it sounds really superficial, but, you know, having your ego massaged for three or four <laughs> minutes, it does feel good. And and sh- seeing that people appreciate what we're giving them. And it's not just me. I mean, it's there's people in feedback. there. It's feedback. Yeah, it's feedback. We're kind of social creatures. You know, we, we value being appreciated by our fellow humans. And the work that goes into, you know, people might have a small salad plate with a mix of three salads. For them, it's like, it's not a big deal. But if you look at the work that goes into it, because one other thing about us is like, we use very few convenience products. We make as much as we can from scratch. So mm-hmm. all our bread is made in house. We even make our own ketchup. We grind our own meat for the burgers. I didn't know that. Yeah, we, you know, everything is made from scratch daily. So you've got a team that comes in at 6 a.m., getting ready for lunch. You've also got bread being made from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. That guy leaves at 6 a.m. Those two guys leave at 6 a.m. Other team comes in and they're making it. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, you know, none of these people complain. They get on with their work. They do their job. It's not always easy. You have people who rightly or wrongly get upset with us and you have to face them you know you so you take the compliments but you also take the criticisms you know and we're not always perfect like people have had legitimately bad experiences with us but at the end of the day for someone to come in and be like oh thank you so much that was great or i really enjoyed it that for me is success it's just we like to share it internally as well so if someone sends us a message we share it on our like internal uh, whatsapp group yeah, I think that's that's the main thing. And even like my team, if I compliment them or if I say this, I tell them like today I had a butternut soup for lunch. And like it was my only lunch, but it was the first okay. thing I had. And I told them, oh, guys, it's fantastic. You know, I like to tell them when things are right and when things are wrong. I also try to manage. I give them the criticism because mm-hmm. I also don't think it's good to just throw it in their face or get mad. It's like uh, what they call it, it's a build, break, build. So it's like, yeah. You tell them, oh, you know what? Like, I really liked it, but here's what went wrong. You could have yeah, really made yeah, this one, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot better. But hey, overall, it's really good. So good yeah. job. Yeah. It's like build, break, build. And apparently yeah, that's yeah, the best way yeah. to give feedback. Yeah, unless they maybe catch on to it, in which case they're going to be like, <laughs> when you compliment them, they're going to oh, be like, oh, this guy is going to give me something. But what do you think is success? I'm interested to know. Being able to give back and being selfless then you'll be able to give back to the society or to someone or to help somebody. Like raising up others. Motivating, inspiring somebody, helping someone change their life. So hopefully one day I'll be able to be in a position uh, to return the favor. 
Yeah. I mean, even for me, like one one thing I definitely enjoy is like when I pay salaries every month, the fact that there's, you know, 30 people making a living from this business. I always think like, you know, if one life closed tomorrow, it wouldn't change the fact that for four years, there's a number of people who have, you know, sent money home, survived, eaten, paid their rent yeah. out of this business. So, you know, I would never necessarily see it as a failure, no matter what happens from this point forward. But yeah, I think the appreciation for me is really what defines success. Awesome. Najib, thank you so thank much for you. coming on the podcast. No really appreciate it. And happy best of luck. Here. Thank you so much. With One Life. Thanks for tuning in once again. And remember, if you do find value in listening to the Project E podcast, please spread the word about the show. Subscribe, rate, and review. It really, really helps get the word out. And most importantly, wash your hands, stay safe, and stay home.